Welcome into the aftershock, Philip Leva. Uh, with us and Alex Morgan, as always. Phil, let's kick it over to you first. And uh, you're at the stadium tonight. Uh, Alex, not able to be there to join you this time, but uh, you got to witness a really good game, one that got up and down pretty early. And while the Sounders seemed to control the early tempo, once the Quakes took the lead, they seemed to never look back. You know, what was your feeling from the stadium there? Well, first of all, for a Wednesday night game, there's a lot of buzz going around the stadium. I mean, there's still folks right now all around getting player signings, uh, cheering on the players as they walk across uh, the bridge. And so there's a lot going on here. Um, I have to say, though, a 2-0 win, even though it's a Wednesday night, feels enormous for this team. It, it just seems like Lucci, you know, had his game plan. He came in so well prepared for the Sounders team and exploited the spaces throughout. It was just one of those matches where um, it didn't ever seem like the, the Quakes were going to let off the gas. Like, I, it seemed like they were the better team throughout the night, and the Sounders were definitely on the back foot. So, um, you know, just kind of keeping track of, like, uh, formation. Actually, that was one of the things I wanted to ask you guys about in terms of, like, what you saw from, from your perspective. I know Ana and I here at the stadium had conversations about uh, the defensive shape and sort of, like, Paul Marie's role on the left side, uh, more so as a left mid rather than a left back. So... A lot of interesting things to talk about. And, of course, guys, I think the big the big news here, uh, Jack Skane's performance, right? We've been talking about the number 10 position and sort of like centrally uh, some of the difficulties the team has had under Jamiro Montero throughout. So, oh, it looks like we're already going over to the presser. Or... No, nope, that was just me just making sure I had it up, ready to go. Okay. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, actually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kick it over back to Alex really quickly to get your perspective on that, Alex, because you have been talking about Jamiro Montero's performances these last few games, and I think Skane, in a way, occupies that space here in this match. Um, and so kind of, you know, interested to hear what you thought about his performance. Yeah, who would have known that Jack Skane would be San Jose's player of the month? in the month of July, but after his Cali Classico goal and performance, uh, after last week's assist that he got uh, at LAFC, a gorgeous ball into Christian Espinosa, uh, and another really solid performance tonight, I, I think you have to hand it to him. This is San Jose's last match in Major League Soccer in the month of July because of this big Leagues Cup break. Perhaps that's why the atmosphere uh, is so fun at the stadium, Phil. Everyone's soaking it up. Might be a little nostalgic knowing that they're not going to get to see this team play again until August because it, it really feels like they have figured it out. They were entering the meh part of the season. That's what we were saying. They were five matches without a win going into this one, and now they figured it out because Jack Skane has brought intensity, energy into this lineup and raised the level. And because Lucy Gonzalez has figured out a system that works, because with all the absences, international injuries that he's had, he's been forced to adapt and adjust. And he's found a really dynamic, flexible tactical system where you have in the buildup phase, a 4-3-3 and in the defensive phase, a 3-5-2. That's given San Jose a lot of flexibility, and it's worked really well with the personnel they've had. And now they're two uh, games and two wins against the Seattle Sounders. They're one of the best teams in, in Major League Soccer. So you can't complain with this one, Jamin. I, I don't know what more you could ask for. No, uh, I, I completely agree. Um, you know, when, when you have a team come into your stadium and control the tempo early, 
it's easy to get unnerved by that. It's easy to get a feel a little bit desperate at times. And, you know, I think what was really good about the earthquakes tonight is they kind of understood what their game plan was supposed to be. I don't think they intended to hold the possession against Seattle coming in. I think it was always to be able to play a double pivot, get Jack Skane up high as you can to support Jeremy Abobasi, you know, make sure that you got uh, Christian Espinoza into the game and utilized him. Decide what you need to do in terms of Marie and Trauco. Like either one of them could get forward at any time. Either one of them could play outside back. It was almost like a little bit of an unbalanced formation, almost intentionally unbalanced a little bit because, you know, uh, Marie would come inside so much at times as Skane moved over to the right. So, uh, you know, I liked it. Um, And at the end of the day, it worked extremely well. What I was really pleased with was the second half that, you know, the the Seattle attack felt completely toothless, that there was never really, other than the penalty shout against Rodriguez, you know, there was never really a moment where you thought, oh, Seattle was going to get back into this game. Once the penalty was weighed off by by Flores Padakas, you know, it was probably, you know, it was lights out, you know, for the Sounders. David, David, because here's the thing, even though the Quakes only had 37% possession, they were in control. They controlled the ball, the, the, the game, without needing to have the ball and it's I, I think it's a classic example of a smash and grab victory where they were very dangerous on the counterattack with christian espinosa in a slightly more central advanced position able to make more runs in behind able to press the back line more and then defensively they have numbers back there and you saw them at the end of the game playing with essentially five at the back a, a, a back line of five and then Judson and Grezzo doing a great job protecting that back line. Seattle are so dangerous. You saw in the first 20 minutes just how quickly they're able to break through the middle. One, two, touch. They're, before you can you know realize what's happened, they've broken one or two lines already. But Grezzo and Judson never felt like they got caught out. And, and this was a, a pretty rock-solid uh, defensive midfield partnership in a game where they really needed to step up and a partnership that we haven't seen before a player with Judson who just last week we were talking about has chronic knee injuries and is probably on his last legs stepping up and putting in a really solid performance in a key moment no definitely that was one of the concerns I had coming into this match too like I had assumed that he would get subbed out early in the second half I didn't anticipate that he would be able to put in that much time and Look, with the defensive midfielders in there, I thought that the team played really well. And you said it was like a smash and grab, Alex, but I think you've got to give the team a little bit more credit here. Um, I think they played very patiently. They played with finesse. They passed the ball around well. Sure, they didn't have a lot of possession throughout the match, but they kept bottling up Seattle every time they tried to attack. And so, yeah, they were passing the ball around the back line throughout the match, but there were so many times where the Quakes would engage with the press and Seattle would pass it around and had nowhere to go. They just had no ideas. And it just seemed like to be the case throughout the match. And I think looking into, uh, you know, how many shots they had in the second half, I think it's really telling too, that even as they made their substitutions, they still struggled nonetheless. Phil, there's only one shot that matters in that second half. I'm forgetting about everything else. Right. There's only one that Miguel Trauco banger right. goal of the week in major league soccer. It's definitely goal of the week. I I, I, I I don't I, I think it's probably gonna be San Jose's goal. Well, I had to say uh, one a shout out to Sarah because she was down taking pictures uh, on the field during warmups and she was saying Trauco has already hit a couple of bangers like you know which normally when players are on they're on so coming into the match like that was something that we that I was definitely looking at and I you know I'd mentioned it to Anae too 
that this was, you know, a possibility. So a little bit of Nostradamus here on our team, I think, and <laughs> calling the shot. And, and, and Trauco has scored from that exact position before. We saw I probably the next best earthquake goal of this season from essentially that exact same spot off of Miguel Trauco's left foot earlier this year. He's clearly got the minimum. Yeah, I mean, he's got it zeroed in, right? That's a good spot for him. So it was cool to see it tonight and, and you know, just fantastic all around uh, the squad. So. Yeah, and, and, you know, and Cleveland in the game, and, and, you know, just for anyone who's not aware, Stephen Fry still working his way back uh, from a head injury. Um, looks like he might be able to come back here fairly soon. But Cleveland has been, you know, their backup for some time. And, uh, you know, there's look, there's nothing he was going to do about, about the uh, the Trauco shot. It was past him before he even thought about diving. It was it was so hard. And on the penalty, Christian he picked the right side. He had a good stretch. Christian Espinoza hits his penalties so hard that they're unsavable because if they he puts it right into that pocket, right into the side netting pocket, and just it doesn't matter how if it's Stephen Fry, it doesn't matter if it's Matt Turner, it doesn't matter who it is, it doesn't matter if it's the Panamanian. Uh, goalkeeper today like nobody oh, no. is going Damon. to be able well, to reach that the Panamanian one. goalkeeper did save Christian Roldan's kick which was very similar Jay. I could have saved that no no Christian Roldan's was not very good guys that was <laughs> that was that was left center cut it was not in the so, corner Espinoza's we, was in the corner like right beside the post it was perfect are we calling yeah. this two wins for for the earthquakes today you have Roldan missing the penalty for the USMNT <laughs> while Cade Cowell made his against Canada now you have a tuna win tonight is that is that a double Bad victory for, for the that day for clear that, uh, that Burhalter will be rating Kate Cowell above Christian Roldan. I think that's pretty clear. So, yes, I think he is the better player in this instance. But one thing I wanted to kind of talk to you guys about, too, was the lead-up to that penalty I thought was really great for the team. I mean, uh, the pass in, you know, to the box, Jeremy Abobasi with a little move and, you know, just all-around uh, seasoned professionalism to draw that foul. And I thought it was kind of interesting that Espinosa, which he is their penalty kick taker, you know, immediately stepped up and took the shot. So puts it away, shows that he's, once again, one of the, the leaders on this team. But also, one thing that we haven't mentioned that's incredibly important is that during this match, Christian Espinosa passed Shea Salinas for the all-time assist record for the club. So huge congratulations to Christian on that feat. And it's just another notch on his belt and a, and a wonderful season for him, heading, especially heading into the All-Star game. I mean, he's looking fantastic. He had one taken away, and it got me completely confused because I thought he'd already passed the record. So I didn't mention it. Um, but uh, Kylan Mills uh, confirmed that uh, tonight he uh, he broke the record. So uh, make sure that everyone's aware that tonight was the night that the all-time assist record was broken by Christian Espinosa. And, and we had some doubts these last few weeks about Christian Espinosa's performances. I think at the end of June, we'd started to see Christian Espinosa get locked down by defenders, get double team, get isolated a little bit more because teams were pressing him. Luchi Gonzalez was aware of that. That's why Christian Espinosa started on the left wing in the California Classico against the LA Galaxy. But I think in these last two games, the LAFC game and the uh, tonight's game, with him playing in a slightly more central position in a more 3-5-2 setup and, and able to make those runs in behind, we've seen him look a lot more dangerous, get involved in the play a lot more and get rewarded with two goals and an assist in uh, 
you know, two two games now, and and he and, is and showing Alex, why he's going to the MLS All Star game next week. He's not the only one who's benefited from this change as well. Like there are other players who have been occupying that space, and this has been one of those zones for the Quakes where they found a lot of success. I mean, Jack Skane is like one of the ultimate examples tonight, who effectively was able to go in and do so well in that space. But we have Miguel Trauco occupying that space. We have Paul Marie doing the same. So, uh, and Paul Marie, by the way, playing higher up in the pitch this match. And I think, I don't know how it looked to you guys, but from my perspective, it seemed like they were working more with the four-man backline and having Paul Marie moving more and more so into the left mid position. But occupying that space more often, which draws more of the defenders away from the space that Christian Espinosa is going to occupy also on the right flank. So he is just getting more opportunities to use his talent to send those balls in or to cut in and take shots. And I think that's why we're seeing him so effective for the team right now. Yeah, it, it, I, I, that left side is really interesting to watch because, as Jamin said earlier, it is unbalanced and it is fluid, and it's sometimes hard to pin down, right? Because in uh, defense, you have Palmieri essentially acting as a left wing back. He's dropping deeper. He's taking up a lot of the same space as Miguel Trauco. And then on offense, he's flying down that wing. He looks like a left winger, uh, like Benji Gakanovich or Cade Cowell would. And then in transition, he can kind of be wherever he wants. And it gives him that flexibility uh, to, to get down the wing and find his spots and to create space also for Miguel Trauco to step up into the midfield and step centrally. Because we know how dangerous Miguel Trauco is centrally. Heck, he played as a central midfielder, uh, you know, just last week uh, when, when the Quakes needed somebody to step in, in the midfield there. So we know what Miguel Trauco can do when he steps centrally. And this formation gives the Quakes the flexibility in whatever phase of play to utilize all of those strengths. And I'm almost like sad that we might not see this going forward because with you, with Cade Cowell returning from the national team lineup with uh, Jackson, Ewell returning from the national team lineup, you know, there's a chance that uh, Lucci Gonzalez will just go back to the four through three, the regular old four through three, which, which feels a little boring now, Jamin. Well, I, I don't know about it, it that, does. Alex, because he has been playing out. Uh, I mean, Look at what's happening with Jonathan Mensa, right? We don't know the full story behind that, but we're talking about a player who we thought would be a lock-in as a starter in this team, and he's not getting those minutes. So this could be an instance for, you know, these guys who are playing on the left side, who are playing centrally, who are getting these opportunities because of players being gone, like Jackson Yule, like Kate Cowell, that you go with the hot hand. So I don't know necessarily that that's, that that's going to be the case, although it's after watching Cowell during the Gold Cup, it would be really hard for him not to very quickly – earn his spot back with this squad because he was actually playing well in a lot of these games as well for the, the U.S. men's national team. All right. All right, guys. So so something really telling to me, and I know, look, we've, we've talked a bit about Jack Skane because he has been, you know, very good recently. But tonight, on a night when Miguel Trauco hit one of the greatest goals in PayPal Park history, the chat is talking about Jack Skane. That's how impressive he has been. So when... When everyone is back, when Montero is fit, when Yule is back, when Kate is back, who sits? Because it should not be Jack's game right now. I can tell you that. Who sits out of this lineup? I mean, for me, the answer is easy. It's going to be Jamiro Montero. And it's, it's just a matter of performance. It's not a matter of talent or what he's capable of or what he brings to this team. Because we know that... Jumero Montero is one of the more technically talented players on this team. He's a good decision maker. He passes the ball well. He knows how to fight out of really tight spaces when he gets caught up with defenders. But the fact of the matter is, Jack Skane is playing on another level right now, and I think he's earned the position. So 
I don't know, Alex, do you agree with that? Or do you think that Jamiro steps right back into the spot? Is it is it weird to say that I think they should all sit? That after tying LAFC on the road and looking like the better team in that match, winning the XG battle, after beating the Seattle Sounders 2-0 at home, that's only their second like multi-goal victory of the season. And another performance where they like have more XG, 1.6 XG to 0.6 XG, I don't see why you change the lineup. It's it's a working system. Why why would you break try to fix something that's that's not broke? I think that if there's one change I would make, it might be to put Yule back in the midfield, only because I'm not sure about Judson's fitness and his ability to go 90 consistently week in, week out. Otherwise, I am leaving that front line and that that midfield alone because it is working right now. And honestly. I like guys like Jermir Montero and Cade Cowell better off the bench anyways. We've seen how good Cade Cowell is off the bench when he's playing for the U.S. men's national team, when he has more space, when the defenders are tired, and his pressure is really, really dangerous. And Jermir Montero, when he gets space, I, I don't think I've ever seen Jamin so vehemently agree with me. This is <laughs> I, new, I've been saying this for years. A new look. Even, even Jameer Montero, I think, functions better when there is more space uh, for him to, to pick his passes and and uh, to, to find the right ball. So I, I think you keep the starting lineup the same and you just uh, have both of those guys off the bench as super subs. Yeah, we're going to have one more game with Yule suspended anyway, so that's a really good point. We don't quite know, right, with the League's Cup coming, you know, who's going to come out of League's Cup, you know, fully healthy and, and ready to go. But you don't know, you know, if the Quakes make a deep run in League's Cup, right, that might affect some things coming in the other side. If the Quakes are out early, you know, against, uh, you know, uh, a road game in Portland and against, uh, you know, one of the best teams in Liga MX in, in Tigres, you know, then, you know, anything's anything's possible in terms of how they come back. But yes, the very first game that Yule is back in MLS, that's when he will have to serve his suspension. His time away at the uh, national team does not count. Uh, against a suspension for anyone who's not aware. Now, this is an interesting take here from Martin. It's Jebo that needs to be dropped and changes up front. Jamin, could you envision a scenario where you have Christian Espinosa playing as a number nine and, and you have Cade Cowell playing on the opposite wing? No, but um, I could envision a situation in which you decide that you want Cade on the pitch and you may need to give Abobasi a bit of a rest. Um, I thought he performed pretty well tonight. He did create the uh, the penalty. There was some good combination play in the box. I don't think he's the problem right now. I think he hasn't gotten service. And tonight he got a bit of that from Jack, but he still is not getting it, you know, very much from other areas. Um, even Christian Espinosa hasn't has had a difficult time finding him. It's because, of course, defenses are keying on that combination. And they're making sure to, to, to track Jeremy Abobasi when Christian Espinosa is on the ball. You would too if you were playing this team, right? But what they don't see is Jack Skane coming out of nowhere because all the Seattle fans tonight in, in, in my feed were like, who is Jack Skane? <laughs> right? And, and, you know, teams are going to have to figure that out now too. It's, it, he's no longer going to be a secret. There's four games of tape of this guy starting, and teams are going to have to start scheming a little bit to account for him. And then you get Kate Cowell back and Jackson Yule back. It's nice. Like the Quakes have suddenly feel like they have depth that they didn't have a month ago. It's kind of weird. Um, no, it we, feels, we it feels even less like they have to have another signing because 
Jack's game right now is another signing. He's like right. he because he wasn't playing before. We we had talked about this a couple of shows ago, Jamin, in terms of like unlocking some of the potential of this squad. And I think one of the things that carried over from the last match, and we didn't necessarily see the four four two that we saw before. But seeing Jeremy Abobasi occupy that space high, and even Jack Skane at times pushing up high and creating more space in the midfield allowed some of the other players to come in and be effective in that space. And I just think, like, Alex had said this before, one of the big problems is they have done that. However, Jamiro Montero, who has been occupying that space in the 10 position, hasn't been able to find those passes to make anything happen. Um, I think there have been issues on the wings as well. But I don't know. I think it would be really cool to see a two striker formation at some point here be employed a little bit more. I think that there, it was effective in their last match. And I think, you know, it's one of those things where it allows Jeremy Abobasi to be more effective as a striker as well. So, um, we're, you know, we're talking about different things that we could see from the squad in terms of their approach to the game, uh, how they could progress throughout the season and become better and better and actually be higher up in the standings and possibly even get like a home match to start the playoffs. I think that's what it is. Um, you know, a, a signing is like a, a sexy thing. Like somebody comes in, it's flashy, it's awesome. But the fact of the matter is it takes time for somebody to integrate into a squad. It takes time for them to integrate into the city with the, the organization, uh, their fellow players. Like, And so there's no magic like silver bullet that's going to solve the problem. I think it comes from within. And we saw a lot of that tonight with Jack's game. And I, I think it's worth trying to break down a little bit some of the things that Skane has done particularly well, some of the things that made me go, wow, and I think will stand out if you watch you know, these four games of tape, uh, which are, I, he's really, really good at pressing the ball and triggering the press just because he is really intense and uh, surprisingly quick and has quick acceleration and good at reading the game. So tonight you saw him starting the press with, uh, with Jeremy Obobese up front. And, and I think Jeremy Obobese generally tends to be in the right positions at the right times. I don't think he's a weakness in, in defense, but I don't see Jeremy Obobese winning the ball in that press that much, whereas Jack Skane wins the ball in that press. He makes center backs nervous, and he starts dangerous transitions. And so that's one thing he does really well. And the other thing he does really well is that he turns with the ball in tight spaces and and breaks lines uh, on the dribble and then is really good at distributing the ball. We, we saw a little bit of that from Nico Shakiris as well. Nico Shakiris is also good at getting in those spaces, centrally turning and driving forward. But the thing that's impressed me the most about Jack's game is his ability to then pick the right pass, to keep his head up and to lay the ball off, distribute the ball at the exact right moment. And that's how you saw uh, Jeremy Abobasi win the win the penalty, and I think if you have Jack Skane in there, on the ball, you know, in those spaces, Jeremy Abobasi is going to get enough service to do what he needs. I, I'm I'm a little surprised by all the sort of you know trepidation about Jeremy Abobasi today when he essentially did his job, which is win a penalty that gives the Quakes the go ahead goal. I don't know if you can ask for much more of your starting striker. If he did that every game, he would be. MVP of the and, season. And thank right. you for now, distilling it down into that, Alex, because that's exactly what it is. He's doing his job at his position, right? Um, he And he actually has the stats to back it up, too. So I don't really see what the deal is with folks who don't believe that Jeremy Abobasi is not an effective striker for this team. I mean, he's not going to score 30 goals this season. Yeah. I think we know that. But what he does for the squad, I think, opens up opportunities for the other players, and he's still scoring goals. The lineup decision that really actually interests me is center back, because we saw – 
another change back there tonight that I was not expecting. We saw Jonathan Mensah replaced again, lose his starting spot for the second time this season to Tanner Beeson. Tanner Beeson puts in a solid performance. Quakes keep a clean sheet. Does he keep that starting spot now, Jamin? What, what, what happens in this back line? It seems like they have two good options back there, but it's unclear who Luchi Gonzalez prefers right now. Yeah, I want to come back to some of these comments because there's some good comments that are worth talking about. But um, to answer to answer your question, I think tonight was more of a, a rotation play, um, and I think it was a nod toward the quality that that uh, that was shown in the last game against Seattle. That uh, maybe they just feel from a matchup perspective that uh, you know the better the better matchup against what Seattle is bringing in the back line um, is. Uh, is going to to uh, to be uh, Tanner Beeson, and and there's a reason for it at times because tonight one of the more dangerous situations that was created was off of a set piece that was played in behind. It was kind of a sneaky set piece. He actually read it the entire way. He moved as soon as as uh, Seattle uh, started that set that set piece play. He was already moving and he comfortably you know blocked the shot attempt. Um, because he was already moving with it. It wasn't this reactionary thing that I feel like we've seen from him at times. Tonight, it was actually uh, actually the right thing. Um, but I do want to come back because, you know, there, there are some, some comments here about um, uh, Jack Skane's, uh, you know, sneaky good positioning. And I think this is one of the things that is his strength. And I was comparing in the slack, I think it was, between... Jack's, what Jack Skane brings and what Cade Cowell brings. And what Cade Cowell brings is this raw athleticism, this ability to kind of change a game very, very quickly. And we saw it with the U.S. national team. He had a shot on goal that went off the post within 20 seconds of the start of the game today. And, you know, as you said, Alex, and I agree with you, like I think he's better off the bench, but he also has that ability to just come out of the starting gates and hit the other team and, and you know, punch them in the mouth very quickly potentially. And if that ball's, you know, six inches to the left, it's in the back of the net and the U S is up one zero, you know, in 20 seconds. Right. So, you know, he's got that ability. That's what is, is great about Cade Cowell is that ability to just kind of change a game. And have we seen him do that coming in off the bench for the U S men's national team? The great thing about Jack Skane is he's technical. He's almost as fast surprisingly he's almost as fast as Kate Cowell and we've got the data that proves that he's he's incredibly fast he was third fastest on the team last year and he made what how many appearances and within that amount of time he, he logged the third fastest yeah, score. how is that possible he does not have a cheetah tattoo on his thigh I don't believe yeah that. I, I have no idea but uh but that's but that's how fast he is and you don't see that coming you do not look at Jack Skate and go like oh he's one of the fastest guys on this team and so he, he kind of has that, but he's, he's also been very, very good with his positioning. That goal at the Cali Classico is a good example of him understanding the situation and being in the right place in the right moment. And tonight and in the last game, you can pick out three or four moments where you're like, he's in a place that nobody else in this team would have read and been in that particular place. And that sneaky good positioning, and then you add on to that the pace once he reads the play in the situation, and I think that's why the pressing is as effective as it has been when he starts to run at people, 
that's why that's why it's been really interesting to watch him is is it starts from the from the good positioning and then goes from there. Phil, I have lots of things to argue about with Jamin. I want to give you a chance to jump in before <laughs> me and Jamin get caught up in it. Yeah, I don't know, man. I'm kind of I kind of want to hear what you have to say in response to that. <laughs> I'm, I'm okay. here. I'm, <laughs> let me grab the popcorn. <laughs> I'm ready. Okay. First of all. Jamin said a lot of things here. We're going to have to take them one by one. Take them one by one. <laughs> First of all, I don't see the reason oh, why why the, the Donathan Mensah start would be a rotation flight. Jamin, this is their last game before they go on a month-long break. I don't understand oh, well, why you're Well, you can go ask Lucci because we're going to talk to him right now. Okay, okay. He's cutting me off. I see how it is. Much more effective building pressure, doing it together, uh, winning the ball, and creating offensive transition. In Spanish. De los partidos tácticamente como defendemos, creo que es uno de los partidos de referencia positivo. No sé si es el mejor en la pregunta, pero es uno de los partidos buenos. Los primeros 15 minutos sufrimos porque si ya lo tienen buenos jugadores entre líneas central en el área central acumulan gente, números, y rompieron nuestra presión y, y adaptamos, reorganizamos, jugamos más compacto y crecemos la presión, pero haciéndolo más juntos, más compacto. Creo que fue más efectivo, ganamos la pelota y de ahí o, o, una transición ofensiva donde pudimos ser peligrosos en el ataque. All right, we will take a question from Alex Morgan. Hey, Luchi, uh, thanks for, for joining us tonight. It's good to speak to you. You, you, you kind of happened into this lineup and, and system, you know, by, by circumstance, by chance, because of the absences and injuries. You've talked about, you know, how you've been trying to adapt to, to what you've been dealt with. Um, but the, the system that you played with these last two games, LAFC and in this game, it looks like it's sort of suiting the team really well and the flexibility it gives you uh, you know, in, in defense to play with uh, maybe more of that three at the back and, and you know, Palmeri at wing back and, uh, and, and get, uh, you know, some good numbers behind the ball. And then also getting guys forward uh, on offense and, and, you know, having Espinosa in dangerous spots uh, and, and, you know, allowing you to get, you know, your best guys on the field at, at once. What do you make of this formation? Do you think that this is something that could become a long term uh, you know, system that you use and that you found in, in you know, how hard is it going to be to, to move away from something uh, that, that's, you know, worked so well these last two games? Yeah, look, the, the game against LAFC and this game were similar in terms of the, 
<clears throat> maybe the setup, but but they were also different, right? Um, and yeah, they are circumstances where when you have guys with national team duty or injuries, yet you, you have to uh, try to play to your strengths and set up in a way that you have uh, guys on the field that you believe can get the job done together um, and, and know their opponent, right? The opponent's going to build a certain way. The opponent's going to attack a certain way. They'll press a certain way. So we have to be ready to, to, to deal with those phases. And, um, you know, like uh, you, you mentioned four in the back, five in the back, you know, we, we want to have variability in how we build. It doesn't have to look the same all the time because teams will always set up and prepare. And, it's important that we are uh, consistent with our principles, how we want to like play vertically, attack, and then and then build pressure. But it can be done different in different formations, different shapes. And I'm proud of our boys, and you know, to adapt and to uh, to take the tactical information and try their best in the training, and then try their best in the game. Look, the first 15 minutes, Seattle were, were breaking our press. We, it was press had the right I- initial idea, but it was a little disconnected. We were getting initial pressure on the ball, but they, they were playing between the lines very well with these bounces and and uh, players coming to the ball and when when they were closed down. So we made some adjustments, and the players made adjustments on the field to to, to get more compact, build pressure together, and do it with better timing. And I thought we were much more effective. So credit to the guys, man. Credit to this group of players, this group. We played great as a team. Um, and we were dangerous when we won the ball. We played forward. We found Christian, like you said, running in behind center backs. Jack Scahan, man, has had a great last few weeks to step it up for the team and, and play different roles in the midfield, on the wing. And like you said, Paul and Miguel had a good relationship to just defend together and then build attacks, you know. And and, um, and look, Judson and Gresso, that they haven't played often together due to whatever the circumstances, injuries and moments, but but they they had a great – uh, connection together to build pressure and and then look we're gonna get guys back like Kate we missed Kate we missed him for what 10 games you know and that's not easy to to miss a player that is so vertical and creates danger for the opposition because that gives more time and space for Jabo for for Mito or for for Christian or whoever so so and then Jackson you know so so you know congrats to them and having their opportunity with the national team but you know we'll, we'll work uh, in, a, in a positive way to get everybody full force here in the break. And we want to approach Leagues Cup with as many healthy guys as possible and taking on the next step uh, against a very good opponent, which is going to be Portland, uh, and then and then Tigres, so, and then get back to the league. So we're excited to have a little time off, uh, enjoy family, friends, and then recharge the batteries and get back to work next week. Next up, Jamin Moore. Unmuted. Hi, Lucci. Congrats on the uh, on the win tonight. Um, you know, I want to talk a little bit more about uh, about Jack's game, but I also want to talk about your your outside back. So for Jack, you know, really kind of uh, keying off that attack tonight, and looked like he just attacked space well. Looked like you asked him to play a bit of a ten with a double pivot, and uh, he seemed like he just recognized where there was an opportunity to go forward, and he's got surprising amount of pace. And attacked that space really well, and and created helped create that that penalty situation in the beginning. But just in many situations, recovered balls and played out well. And then your outside backs, you've just been getting so much production from them. And and Miguel Trauco had the goal of the year for the team uh, in terms of individual goals, and and tonight even surpassed his previous goal uh, with with that particular goal. And uh, you know it's it's crazy he's never even he's never scored with the Peruvian team but he's given you three goals this season. 
Uh, can you talk a bit about your outside backs and a little bit more about Jack's contributions and, and what you thought about in terms of using them as a 10 tonight? Muted. Yeah, really proud of our group of outside backs. They are, first of all, they're great teammates. They support each other, not all of them start at the same time. Mentioning those three and then, and then there are moments where they are on the field. So you can tell they're always supporting each other. Um, I think we have like flexibility. Paul can play right side, left side. Wing back, back full back, back, and then you have like Miguel, Miguel who the other day was in the midfield, and our build up is narrow, sometimes wide. Uh, it has the ability to score goals, assists, and then the top, right? It's like really rangy up and down, joins the attack, allows Christian to take inside spaces to attack. And so, like, all of them have their different uh, strengths, and but, uh, you know, I think we have great depth in our full back position, wing back position. Uh, that's helping carry us and get the results that the team needs. Next up, Kevin Nguyen. Hey, Coach. Um, what are you noticing about Jack the more he plays? And uh, can you say a word on Cameron's debut and what that means for how the youth is conducting themselves on this team? Yeah, Jack is, uh, you know, just first of all, a great teammate, uh, great mentality. Um, wasn't getting, you know, he got injured in preseason, right? So he had that setback and then he wasn't getting on the field, he wasn't even making certain rosters, and it's, it's a competitive team. When everybody's healthy on this roster, it's hard to make this roster. Uh, it's hard to make this roster. So credit to his teammates, but he's always had a great attitude. He's always been open to feedback uh, and working hard in training. Even when he was playing with second team, having a great attitude, fighting for the jersey, no matter the level. And then just little by little, gaining confidence, little by little, you know, smelling opportunities, and then and then recently grabbing them. So and he's showing that he's a great piece to this team and is an MLS player that uh, can push the game forward and, and help, help this team reach its best. So we're just, I'm really proud of him. And, and, uh, and I know he's continuing to be uh, a great teammate and hungry to, to keep fighting for opportunities. And then you mentioned Cam Seeley, congrats on his debut. He's earned that. What a great attitude and mentality as well. You know, came in like for like for, for Judson. He's earned that debut. He almost came in against Seattle away. Um, but, but, you know, Cam, Cam was ready. Cam was ready, and and uh, he's a great product coming through the academy. has has a lot to learn, but also has a high ceiling. And then you know who's no better to look up to than Tommy Thompson? Two hundred games tonight, the original homegrown player that just keeps finding a way to help this team get on the field. So congrats to Tommy as well. We'll take a question from Michael Roberson. Okay, coach. There was a lot of excitement here at the stadium uh, Saturday and Sunday with the U.S. Women. Coincidentally, they won 2-0. So do you think that that momentum, if you were watching what happened over here, was that really affecting what happened tonight where you guys came in and looked really good? You got a clean sheet from JT. Uh, you have uh, Christian going into the history books for the team. So it was a really good uh, momentous uh, game today. So do you think that uh, frivolity of uh, what happened over the weekend has something to do with it? I'm not sure, you know, I'm not sure that's there's a correlation there. But what, what I can tell you is, you know, um, the, the women's game is is so important. Um, my daughter plays, you know, and, and we're going to be watching the, the World Cup and cheering for USA. That's for sure. Um, and, and and having it here locally at our stadium, it's an honor to host them and, and wish them the best for the for the tournament. Uh, I know there's a great turnout. You know, it just helps the game grow, helps the community grow and fall in love with the game. And the game is for everybody. Uh, 
uh, race, sex, doesn't, it doesn't matter. The game is for everybody. So, uh, you know, seeing that here locally was, was awesome. Um, and then for us, you know, like, I mean, we have amazing fans, the energy, the intensity they gave us on a Wednesday night in the middle of the summer, there might be people traveling, but we had a great turnout just, uh, in terms of energy, in terms of enthusiasm and to help push us to, to get the win tonight. And we thank them for that. And one final question from Marco Kolodich. Hey, Luchi. Uh, you know, congrats on snapping the winless streak tonight. You know, this is your second game with the the, the new formation. Last week, it, was, it seemed it was susceptible to giving up counterattacks against LAFC. But tonight, you guys were able to maintain position pretty much throughout the entire game and not let them, you know, establish any creativity on offense. What do you think attributed to the difference between tonight and last week? Thanks. Well, I thought we we actually started the game really well against LAFC, and I thought our game planning was pretty good. The guys were executing. We get a red card, and then it kind of shifted the momentum of the game. So, you know, that that happens um, if you're, you're a man down. You know, tonight was similar in terms of trying to – our principles trying to build pressure and win the ball and attack. Uh, uh, but it was different also. Like, Jack was more between the lines against LAFC. This one, he was a little more expansive on that left side, recognized when to tuck in. So, like – and then the relate, you know, we had Jutes and Gresso instead of Miguel. Miguel's in the back line. So like similarities, but also different. And we have to be ready to uh, to tweak each game and each moment uh, based on what's available. But what what I want to grab are the, the things that have helped us compete. I feel like we've gained momentum in a positive way the last few weeks in terms of competing uh, and responding. You know, being being down late in the game and against Galaxy here at home. In Stanford, it's it, for us to keep fighting the fans to, to give us energy and the guys to respond and tie the game. Like you just feel the guys are always ready to respond and compete. I'm proud to coach these guys, and then have a great tactical game like tonight to adjust and build pressure, win the ball, attack, play forward. Uh, you know, those are the things we want to do with with energy, with enthusiasm, with intensity. And I always want to hold us accountable and responsible, giving the, the stadium and the fans energy. And we talk about it as a staff, we talk about it as a team. Uh, I want to be right there with them in terms of energy. And, and I, shot, I thought the boys did that tonight, and, and we want to keep doing that. Thank you, everyone. We will be joined by a Earthquakes player shortly. Good night, guys. Well, quite a, quite a bit of time from Lucci tonight. I think that's great that he was you know, staying around to answer all those questions. Um, Jamin, you brought That's up, what it uh, used to be like in the good old days, Phil. We'd sit there yeah. and chat for hours and hours. Right, Press conference would never end. Just, just chilling the whole time. No, um, Jamin, I'll sitting around, sitting around the locker room, just hanging with Wando and Shay yeah, yeah. and, and the boys, right? Oh, exactly. I see. Cracking I open. See. So now one. that I'm here, you guys, everything is shut down, right? I don't know. <laughs> no, it, it happened when I got here too, Phil. So they got uh, scared yeah. of. Jamie started talking um, about tactics and analytics, and they just right. closed <laughs> everything true. down. He just spoiled that's it. Once true. XG came into the picture, that was it. We were done. That was right. No more fun. Jamin, you asked about Jack Skane first here, um, and and that really sin, seemed to be one of the uh, the center points of the conversation. Again, going back to what we were saying earlier in the show, um, despite the like the crazy goal from uh, Miguel Tralco, despite everything else happened in the match, we're focusing here a lot on Jack Skane, and I think um, this is one of the things that we have to continue to keep an eye on moving forward. And Alex, you asked about personnel changes, right? Like whether or not he found something uh, tonight and last match against LAFC with some of the personnel changes that he had to make out of necessity. Um, one of the things that he said is he wants to grab from these performances what will 
make the team competitive moving forward. I know that's kind of a general statement, but I, I think he's kind of where we're at in terms of like, he's trying to take from these matches what is going to make the team better moving forward. So, Jamie, going back to you really quickly, uh, you asked about Jack's game. I'm kind of curious as to what you think about Lucci's response to your question and some of the other comments he made during the press conference. Yeah, it's clear he's trying to stay grounded right now, right? Because players do come in and out of form. And, uh, you know, he is going to be getting some players back. It's certainly going to make some tough decisions. But here, here's kind of the fun part. You've got the opportunity with League's Cup to maybe do a little bit more tinkering, to try some, some experimental things, to put players out there that are quality, but maybe to try some combinations that you wouldn't want to risk you know, in a playoff hunt, which is what the Quakes are in right now, is they want to make sure that they secure those playoffs. So I, I, I like having the opportunity to have at least two games where these players come back, they can get reintegrated. And if you want to start, you know, Jack's game beside Montero, great, right? You know, I, you know, you want to win against these games. You want to be able to go forward in League's Cup. But if you don't, not the end of the world. Uh, the team should be focused on the playoffs right now. And you've got a couple, couple, uh, you know, games minimum to uh, to kind of figure out some of that type of stuff. You got a couple games to get Kate Cowell back, get him kind of reintegrated. See, you know, how do you want to put people around him? Uh, do you want him to start? Do you want to come come off the bench? Um, and, uh, you know, maybe do some things that you wouldn't risk a game that, you know, you need three points at home in order to, to make the playoffs. Like you wouldn't risk a game like tonight on that level of experimentation if you had the entire squad. Um, and so that's what we'll get to see, I think, at League's Cup. I'm sure Alex and I will get to get a press conference ahead of that in which we will ask him what his strategy is. But he'll be cagey as always and not give us anything. Can we, I, can we just stop and appreciate, like – like how nice it is though just to have a coach who can like solve issues mid-season tactical issues personnel issues as they come up because we've seen Luchi Gonzalez this season repeatedly adapt to to fit San Jose's needs this team has evolved over the course of this the season significantly At the beginning of the year they were not able to win on the road they'd uh, drop back into instant blocks and uh, they wouldn't be able to you know, get any momentum going forward. That's no longer an issue. They were not able to hold late leads because of similar defensive issues. That's no longer an issue. They were getting a little bit predictable. That's no longer an issue. You know, Luchi Gonzalez has faced issues repeatedly just that relate to the depth of this squad, the availability of the players, and he has problem solved and, and iterated and, and tinkered every time and found a solution every time. So, I, I, I really appreciate that flexibility that he's shown. And I think that in part explains why he doesn't seem as wedded to this new system and this you know, sort of new formation that he's found as, as maybe we have become in these last two games, having fun watching it. Because it seems like he's thinking about it just as like another small, like, like series of, of changes and, and, you know, little experimentations and tinkering moments rather than a sort of completely new philosophy and system that this team is playing uh, because I I was surprised that he wasn't you know willing to take more credit for the way this team has played that he didn't yeah. see these last two games as as large of an improvement 
as it looked like from our perspective. But I, I think that's because he's constantly tinkering this team. He's not wedded to the formation. He's not wedded so much to the personnel that's on the field as he is about the principles of playing vertically, being dangerous in transition. And, you know, no matter how you get there, depending on the shape and on the, uh, uh, the you know, the, the specific approach for the opponent, it's, it's those core principles that, that you maintain. So, so, so I, that, that was a very, very interesting press conference. And I, I really appreciated his answer there because it, it sort of made me reconsider that, that way that I've been thinking about these changes. Well, and, and a lot, a lot of fans are talking right now about, about leagues cup in the chat, right? And what's the strategy going to be? Do you want to go all out and try to win, you know, in leagues cup? Um, do you want to use it as a chance to try some combinations and experiment? Like I suggested, I'm not suggesting playing a weaker lineup. I am suggesting trying to figure out how to take some of these things that have been working over the past two to three games and figure out with players coming back in and regaining health like Montero, Jackson, Cade, you know, and uh, of course Daniel will be, will be coming back as well. Like, is this time to get Daniel back into form? Is this time to give JT more time? Is this time to put out Nico? Who do you put beside Nico to protect Nico if you're going to do that? Like, you know, there, there's a lot of fair questions here. Even with the existing lineup, if there's no signings whatsoever uh, by Leagues Cup, there's plenty to do with the current lineup that I think needs to be figured out, given what has been working over the past couple games. Jamin, can we just say, JT Marcin-Kasky, there is an extensive Slack thread by our, our wonderful patron, Ryan McGrady, in the, the Quake Sabbath Center patron Slack comparing JT Marcinkowski and Danielle's numbers. And I know we've been very complimentary of Danielle on the show. He's been one of the breakout players of the season for San Jose. But if you look at JT's underlying, underlying numbers this season, they're just as good as Danielle's. You see another clean sheet performance tonight after the solid performance uh, uh, last week at, at uh, LAFC when he had to step in. Do you, do you take him out of the starting lineup when, when he's playing well like this? Well, so I don't, I don't think JT had to do much tonight. Like, so I, there I was guess a big got, stop in the first half. Sure. Sure. Uh, there's always a stop every game. Right. But, but these are stops that you expect your goalkeeper to make. Right. He also got caught out and could have been in a bad position. And in, in one of those times that he stepped out. So that was not a shining moment for JT tonight, but you know, is JT been good the last couple of games? Absolutely. Has JT been better this season than last season? and regained a bit of form. And I think Alex, two points you've made before, you know, now he's got like a quality goalkeeper coach. Like it's a good battle. Uh, you know, and I talked, we talked to JT last week and, and, you know, I basically said like, you got this competition with the goalkeeper who's going to push you. Like what's that like? And to try to, you know, pick his brain a little bit about it. So, you know, for me, um, Danielle still has the edge for a few reasons. First off, when it comes to the, types of shots, the, the high quality shots that Danielle is going, is able to make that JT is not quite there on, like in the volume. Yes. The numbers are similar in the higher quality shots. The goals minus expected goals ratio is decidedly in Danielle's favor. And what that tells me is that largely it's taking a very good shot to be Danielle and it's been taking less quality shot to be JT but in the aggregate, you know, they've been, they've both had pretty good save percentages. It's about 75 to 78. And that was including penalties. If we take penalties out, maybe it's a slight adjustment. So 
look, the team has two quality goalkeepers. I think League's Cup is a great time to kind of figure out where you want to launch out, you know, from here. But I can also understand the situation of, hey, if you're going to give the ball to Danielle going forward, maybe you give a couple games to JT here and say, hey, League's Cup is yours. Take us as far as you can take us, right? And yeah. uh, and, and give him the opportunity to, to to get some more games that way. No, and I stay totally sure because Dan, Daniel's totally going to come out part. twice this season via injury, via red card. Well, like you've Daniel, had to lose Danielle. So much time talking about the goalkeeper keep, position, and this is not the keep position JT on the team hot. that needs that no, needs the most discussion, right? This is a, a right. part that is settled. We have two functional. It's a nice debate. It's a nice. It is a nice debate. Sure, but I think that what we should be talking about here is the how thrilling it is to think about the fact that this team doesn't have to have like one set system moving forward. Lucci was talking about how like he's trying out different things. He's tinkering, as you said, Alex, and that makes the team more responsive to the opponents that they are playing rather than having to settle into one system from match to match. So like seeing, like even having the conversation about whether it is uh, Jack Skane who should be starting based on the performances where we've seen him bursting through into these open spaces or whether it's Jamiro Montero that we want because he has the uh, experience coming from Philadelphia and then getting the time under both, uh, you know, the coaches that he has played under for the earthquakes. I think that's where we should be. We should be talking about not the goalkeeper position because it, the goalkeeper position and the defense seem to be a lot more stable than these other parts of the pitch that I think demand more conversation. So central midfield and even the, the wings too, but let's be clear about something. It sounded to me from this press conference that Lucci feels that Cade Cal, once he comes back to the team, is going to be an asset to the team. It sounds to me like he is going to be in the starting 11, that he's not going to be a player coming off of the bench. Okay, well, you're 100% correct, I think, in the, the way you read Lucci's comments. I think clearly he's missed Cade Cowell, uh, and and for good reason, because you know we've, we've had our gripes about Cade Cowell uh, on the show in the past, mostly because his, his flaws... Uh, are really obvious, you know, the finishing in the final third, right. uh, not being the best, and and you know his his uh, you know one v one skills not being the best because that's what you expect a good winger to do uh, mm-hmm. is you know the flashy dribbling and, and putting the ball in the bottom corner. But Cade Cowell does a lot of other things really really well, and it's so good to see him showcase those talents with the the U.S. Men's National Team because I'm going to be honest, Phil. I like him with the U.S. men's national team better than I like him with the Quakes. When he's coming off the bench for the U.S. men's national team, when he's starting for the U.S. men's national team, they are creating space on the wings. They are making full use of the energy that he has and the chaos that he causes and his aggression when he's pressing. He looks really good for the U.S. men's national team right now. And you know what I think? I think that based on the way he's been playing with the U.S. men's national team, he should be looking for a move to Europe, right? I think that... His performances with the national team have convinced me he doesn't have anything left to, to prove in San Jose. He's already proved what he's going to prove. And, and, and look, he can stay in San Jose and I'm sure be a consistent starter and solid contributor uh, for the next 10, 15 years. But he said it himself at the beginning of this season. This is the season that he is targeting. This is the summer that him and his agent have been targeting a move abroad because he's 19 years old now, because he started getting the U.S. men's national team call-ups, because he was the best player at the, the U-20 World Cup. I think now is the moment to hit send on the Cade Cowell transfer and to try to get him not to a top five 
European League necessarily to a good Eredivisie team like Marcus Lopez at Feyenoord. Maybe not I'm, on the I'm same sorry, team. I'm looking at the chat here, Alex. People are because, panicking at your comments. Maybe not on the same team because I'm scared about both of them on the left, but I think that he should be playing in Eredivisie, playing in, in the French League, playing in another uh, uh, second division league. Thank you, everyone, waiting for waiting. Tonight we have Christian Espinoza, goal scorer and club assist record holder. We're going to start with a question from Jamin Moore. Unmuted. Hi, Christian. Congratulations on both a goal and an assist tonight. You are now the all-time leader in uh, in assists in club history, so you'll get to hang that over Shea the next time you get to talk to him. Uh, so congratulations. Um, obviously, uh, Miguel Trauco's goal was amazing. Uh, looked like you had him picked out the whole way. Um, you know, talk to us a little bit about what you saw in terms of him being available for that corner and uh, and uh, the finish that he gave, which was world class. Thank you. Muted. Um, yes, we to be honest, we don't we don't work that that kind of sub pitches. We we try to to put the the ball inside the box because we have a tall sky, uh, great headers. But in the moment I saw Miguel uh, open and uh, he raised me the hand, so I I tried to play him. And that was amazing work. We'll take a next question from Alonzo Contreras. Thank you. Uh, ¿Cómo estás, este, Cristian? Felicitaciones uh, por, por tu asistencia número 51. Pero quería preguntarte también un poco lo que hablabas de Trauco, ¿no? ¿Qué, qué significa que tu asistencia, que bates un récord, venga con este golazo, ¿no? Que siempre va a quedar también eh, en la historia de San José, ¿no? Sí, sí, sí. Fue, la verdad, fantástico porque, como dije en la respuesta anterior, eh, no fue una jugada que la teníamos preparada. Simplemente yo había marcado otra jugada eh, y, mi, y lo vi justo a Miguel que me levantó la mano apenas y lo vi solo y, bueno, traté de jugársela a él porque vi una oportunidad. Yo sabía eh, que, que él podía pegarle muy bien eh, de, de, de primera. Y bueno, salió un, un lindo gol. Next question from Kevin Nguyen. Hey, hey Christian. Uh, you're in your fifth season here in San Jose. You know, when you look back on your time here, uh, how has it compared to your first impressions and how will you remember this part of your career? Um, I remember when I arrived here, I was very excited to play here, to play in MLS, uh, to have this experience and to be honest I don't expect what what happened after uh, so I'm really happy with this moment with all the things that are, that, that have been happening before and I'm very thankful with my teammates we'll take a question from Titus Wilkerson hey, congrats Espinosa on making a uh, history Obviously, um, when that when that moment happened, were you aware that you had set that mo uh, set that mark in uh, San Jose Quakes history, or was it just kind of like everything happened so quickly? No, I, I'm realizing the moment, uh, and also uh, after the the kickoff, the I, I hear a voice in the, of the stadium saying uh, that I'm the 
the, the club um, assist leader. So no, I'm make me feel so happy, to be honest. We'll take one final question from Michael Roberson. Okay, so uh, what would you say the year 2023 means to you that you're an all-star and now you're in the record books for the team, you're in there with Landon Donovan and uh, Wando, you're up there in that list, Mount Rushmore. So what has this year meant to you? And will you uh, forever remember 2023 as being maybe the most important year you've had as a player? Made me feel very happy because I can see the all the effort, all the sacrifice that I did in every single training session since I arrived here uh, is paying off now. Uh, and also in the same time, uh, I try to to keep that focus, to keep uh, going in that direction, uh, to try to help the the team. And and I think that is uh, the the most important thing for me. Right. Thank Ryan, you. is it okay if I jump in with one last question here quickly? Yes, yes, of course. Thanks, thanks, Christian, for, for taking uh, one more. I, I'm just briefly curious, uh, in these last two games, if you feel like your role has changed at all with the new personnel and the lineup and, you know, the tactical adjustments that Lucci's made and, you know, how you've seen your role change and, and, and whether that's allowed you to find more space in behind. Yes, we we've been working in that tactic, uh, but we don't apply too much uh, since the last game. I think that yes, I can be more next to the box, uh, running in behind of the back line, uh, trying to find spaces. So uh, yes, I I feel very very comfortable in this this tactic, these positions, and and also we have uh, players that we can adapt and different tactics that Lucci tried to do. Thank you, everyone, for tonight. Bye, guys. Thank you. I love that, Alex, uh, kind of butting in there in the last second and getting one more question in to, to Christian. I mean, it's so similar to, uh, to what you do here. Jamin, you're on mute right now, by the way, buddy. Oh, yeah, I got to keep going on mute and with this new setup. Um, <laughs> Yeah, what, what is with like all these people showing up for a press conference tonight? I have no idea who these people yeah, are. There's no, like three yeah, new yeah. three new people on the press conference tonight that have never been on a press conference before. <laughs> During the press conference, yeah. Jamin, they were well, there's a fantastic question in there too about are, are they are they on because of are they on because of him breaking the record? Are they from MLS or something? Or where are these guys from, Alex? They're from all over. They were subtweeting you on Twitter as well. There's there's some uh, earthquakes uh, no media way. beef starting on on Twitter right now. I love that. I'm ready for this. <laughs> What do you mean subtweeting me? Like, what's going on? <laughs> Dish, what's going on? They're uh, they're they're taking uh, 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 objection to to your tactical questions, Jamin. They want they want less tactics and conversation and and more sound bites. Oh, so who are these I don't people? Even know what to say to that. I'm on where your they, side, Jamin. I'm on your where, side. Where are they? Where are they? Don't <laughs> you, I don't even know what we're talking were about. Talking who are these people and where did they come from? That's what I'm asking. <laughs> Out of the out of the there are there are always reporters that come out of the nether when when the earthquakes start playing well, Jamie. And you'll be surprised. There before tonight's game, they had to ask around to see who's coming because the the press box was uh, going to be full today, which is a first. That's in, true. In a, a number of years, Jamie. Mm -hmm. That is okay. true. 
Yeah. All right. Eagerly I anticipating. No I don't. I don't know. I'm the new guy around here. I don't know what to say about that. I don't, these the guys like they, they they're all of a sudden coming into the league because like Messi's coming into the league. So now like all of a sudden people want to be in the press corps for the San Jose Earthquakes. I don't it know. It gets the it gets the clicks, Jamin. It gets the engagement. It gives you okay. the clout. Whatever. You know, Jamin. You know what they say. One day you're 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 uh, you're doing an exclusive one-on-one -on -one interview with uh, Jack Skane, and the next day you're doing a. a a messy uh, transfer news story in that uh, one. We almost made it another show without talking about Lionel Messi. <laughs> Same. <laughs> That's right. Jamin, well, he's not, he's not going to be here this year, so what's the point of talking about him on a quick show? Jamin, uh, we, 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 we broke for the press conference right before you were about to, 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 to combat my Cade Cowell take. Mm. What would I be combating? I can't, I don't remember. Like, we both agree he should come off the bench, so what else is there to combat? Is about? now the time for Cade Cowell to, to move to Oh, Europe? right. Oh, well, I, I think like you have to expect that it could happen. You, you know, if you're setting up this transfer window, unless you're a Lucci and your phone is dead and you're not getting Kate Cowell calls from Europe, which is not what you're hearing, you know, in terms of the uh, European side of the press, because, you know, he, he was he's been rumored at Newcastle. He's been rumored at uh, Bayern, you know, he's been rumored. Uh, who am I missing here? There's like two couple other clubs. Stop. So, no, look, I mean, no, these things are actually being no, it's, said. It's by... true. No, I, I know they are. I know they are. It's just so some of those teams are just ridiculous. Yeah, well, you know, he's a great St. Maximum potential uh, replacement because apparently Newcastle's going to let him go. Anyway, um, look, I kind of agree with Alex. I don't think necessarily holding out for a big five destination is the right thing to do unless you know you got the opportunity to actually get him into the first team. I think if you're looking at a second team or you're looking for a sign and then a loan, it's not really the best situation for the player. And what you want to try to do is get him into a situation where he's going into a team that wants him and that will play him, um, even if he has to start off on the bench because he brings a lot of energy off the bench. That's a great place for him. Um, and uh, you know, so regardless of the league, regardless of the team, I think it's important to get him into a destination where he's going to play without some sign of some sort of loan out to another team. This is, I mean, this is exactly or very similar to what happened with Ricardo Pepe, right? Like there are some parallels there. He went off to Europe. He went to Germany, if, if I'm not mistaken, and then ended up getting, well, he was at Augsburg and then he got loaned to Groningen uh, where he actually was valued and got playing time and started scoring goals and he gelled with the team. So we definitely don't want to see a situation where uh, Cade goes off on a loan and he's not valued. Um, I think there's a lot more that the Quakes can get, uh, you know, with the deal. I, I'm looking over here at the chat right now and I noticed that Arky mentions to get the, the money for him now. And I, I kind of feel like that's a big part of that. Like we're kind of implying that this is the case, but like, should, is this just a matter of the Quakes hedging? Like, Cade Cowell is performing well right now for the U.S. men's national team. Do we think that maybe he doesn't reach the potential that we think he has and you sell him before folks realize he doesn't have that potential? Because that's kind of the, the feeling I'm getting here from folks. I mean, do you think that's the case, Alex? Or do you no. think it's simply a matter of getting him for the value that he's worth? Uh, no, I, I he is going to have that. He's going to reach that ceiling that a lot of us say that he has. I don't actually think that's the case. I, I thought that was the case at the beginning of this season, Phil. I thought that was the case at the beginning of this season when he had poor stretches last season. He wasn't really making goal contributions this season. Uh, and we weren't seeing the kind of leaps and bounds improvements or spectacular runs or, or really exciting moments that we'd seen when he first broke onto the scene in 2021. 
But this season, I've actually started to appreciate more what he provides off the ball with his aggression, what he, you know, how, how important he is to the San Jose team. And, and then also seeing him as the best player at the U20 World Cup, hands down, seeing him as a, a, a real star for the U.S. men's national team. He was one of the best players in their match against the, you know, Bosnia and Herzegovina in Los Angeles back last December. Let's not forget that. He's been solid at the uh, Gold Cup, you know, making a clutch penalty. You know, I the given the way he's played for the national team, I, I, I think it's shown that he can step up to that next level and he can make contributions at that next level. He has the skills that he needs at that next level. And it's the right move in his career at this stage to go to that next level. And he's not Alfonso Davies. That's what we've learned, you know, over these last two years, right? He's not going to walk into the Bayern Munich starting lineup for 20 million, you know, dollar transfer, but is he worth five or $6 million to a team in the Eredivisie who is, fighting for the Europa League and fighting for, you know, possibly an outside shot at the Champions League. Yeah, I think 100%. I think if Marcos Lopez can step into the Feyenoord team that wins the Eredivisie and is going to play in the Champions League next season, then Cade Cowell can very reasonably be worth that much and contribute that much as well. Yeah, yeah keep, I think in mind that, keep in mind that a lot of the fees that MLS teams have gotten for players going to Europe is because of the relationship between the agent and the clubs that they're going to. And this is what's worked really well in FC Dallas is that the players have pretty much the same agents. The agents have the contacts over in Europe and they've been able to, to move the players and do decently well bringing back money to FC Dallas. Same thing in Philadelphia. So I don't know, you know, Cade's agent. It's not someone that, that I chat with. I know other people in the press do, but, um, for for me, like I don't know if if they've got those those level of contacts to really be able to make the types of moves for the types of money that we've seen from from other other players that have made the move over to Europe. There's still a good bit of hype around him, certainly off the uh, the World Cup and these performances for the national team. There should you know he's going he's going to look like okay this kid can play at an international level. Certainly he can do pretty well in Europe. And, you know, we'll see. Um, you know, I, I know some people are concerned. Uh, Marcel is bringing up, are we confident that, you know, Fisher wouldn't just, uh, you know, pocket the profit? You know, look, I'll be, I'll be very honest about this particular uh, type of comment because we see it frequently. Um, there is a requirement that if a player is transferred to Europe, that the club gets a certain amount of that transfer fee in GAM. So it must be reinvested back into players. What some owners do is they use that to reinvest back into the academy or into facilities or into staffing situations, like maybe expand the scouting department, expand the data department, expand the video department, you know, do some more front office hiring if you need to. Um, so it's not just like, oh, if, if, if there's a transfer fee for Cade, does that automatically mean if we don't see it you know, in players, that it's being, you know, just pocketed. Um, no, it probably doesn't mean that. It probably means it's going into parts of the club that uh, you don't hear about where the investment's going and where we've seen investment more recently going. Um, my guess is if you get a good transfer fee, you'd see a bit of it coming back for players. You see a good bit of it going back in, back into the club and to improve, you know, the situation across a number of departments in the club. 
I know I know people are going to be cynical about this. I can't help. No, 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 actually, Jamin, I'm, I'm really glad you brought it, up. But I think it, I think it's I think that's actually true. Talking with the with the front office in a number of situations, yeah. they have investments they would like to make, and they know that selling players is the way to make sure that some of those investments they would like to make happen. So right. Yeah, actually, really appreciate you bringing that point up, Jamin, because I think a lot of us are quick to get cynical about that. Uh, some of us, like me, are A's fans, and we have a certain feeling about uh, John Fisher. Sure, absolutely. But Major League Baseball and Major League Soccer have different structures in place to ensure the growth of the league. And I think it's a lot different in Major League Soccer. Uh, we do know that it's a single entity system, at least right now. And so it makes things a lot different. And that's one of the big things about it um, is the way that the, the money is allocated to promote the growth of the league. So yeah. thanks for bringing up that point. I think and and also someone, someone mentioned in the chat that John Fisher was at the game tonight. So people are asking, like, does Fisher care about this team? He's had a heck of a lot of games. Uh, he was at the game. He was at the game tonight. And the, and the first owner of the Earthquakes was also at the game tonight. If you didn't catch that, the Earthquakes posted that on social media. I'm pretty sure John Fisher was probably helping host him. So, um, you know, uh, that that's uh, he, was at, he was at the game tonight. All right. I think this is a good opportunity for us to head to the final segment of the show. Uh, final takes, your closing thoughts. Um, Alex Morgan, it's been a minute since you've spoken. What do you got? This is a great win to take into the League's Cup break, Phil. This win keeps them in the playoff race comfortably in a playoff position without having to start to worry about other teams breathing down your neck. According to the latest Jamin Moore simulations, the Quakes only need realistically two more wins in order to uh, make the playoffs. And uh, I don't know if you can pull up, Jamin, while I'm speaking, the other uh, playoff odds here from uh, 538 and sports club stats. Those are the two reliable uh, bookies mm. that we go to. I'll bet you it's close to 90%. Did you just now. call 538 reliable? Did you not remember the 2016? <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, hang on, hang on. Anything, the, there's I a could. probability you might have just like caught that very slim probability. Right, right. Okay. There's always, there's, I, it's a probability. I think what Alex is saying is he's buddies with Nate Silver and he's promoting 538. <laughs> Yeah, I play I play poker with Nate Silver. Uh, the an, the answer is the Quakes are eighty five percent to make playoffs and seventy eight percent to make round one and two percent to win MLS Cup. So that is so a good number. Against. I would yeah. I I would take those numbers if you asked me at the beginning of the season, uh, you know, going into League's Cup, where are the Earthquakes, where would they be sitting right now? I I take those numbers and and more than that, I feel like they're on the right trajectory at this time in the season, how they reached a really rough point uh, at the end of June and have now rebounded with a solid performance in the California Classico, a solid draw at LAFC and a big win over Seattle Sounders. This is a really important game at home for the Earthquakes to show that they mean business, that they can adapt uh, to, to, to uh, you know, adversity and, and, and be resilient. And uh, this was a, a huge win for them. And, and, you know, it gives me give me confidence that with in addition in the summer transfer window what we a week into the transfer window oh, uh, now it's 7 days since the the gates opened uh that the earthquakes can you know push to be a team that is is competing in the playoffs for the first time in uh since 2012 <laughs> Jamin do you share this confidence what do you think yeah i think so because you know, we, uh, we've, we've kept uh, the Slack kind of up to date in terms of uh, the simulations uh, every couple games or so. And, um, you know, we talked about the magic number for the Earthquakes to get a home playoff position. This was several games ago. The magic number was six. Guess what? 
it's still six. And after tonight, that becomes five. The Quakes have a chance to still even get a home playoff position. And by the way, we're sitting in fifth right now. It's only one spot out, right? So look, it it is is it uh, and, and now to clinch a playoff spot, you know, we're projecting more three to four wins, depending upon which spot we're talking about. We're talking a, an eighth, a ninth, a, a seventh. You know, you're looking at three to four wins, and and every win, you know, really helps. The Quakes have drawn a lot of games this year, but ultimately that might help them over another team with fewer wins, but you really want to get those wins. And so game, nights like tonight are incredibly important. They need to come back after League's Cup. They're going to have a difficult schedule. I mean, people looked ahead at the schedule and said, you know, how do you get, you know, five, six wins out of this group? But this is a night tonight where you look at Seattle and go like, you know, how do you get a win out of Seattle tonight? Well, you found a way, Right. So, you know, they need to, to keep being able to get back on this track of getting these home wins with another game, another win, maybe two on the road. They'll for sure be in the playoffs. You want to make, get a home home field, you know, go get two wins on the road, get four more wins at home. You will be on, you will on a, be on a home field for the playoffs. It's that simple. Uh, look for me. As we close out the show, I think one thing that is making me really happy about this team is the difference that we're seeing with the coaching of Luchi Gonzalez and his approach tactically, uh, his approach to the season. And, you know, if you were to compare that, for example, to what we saw with Matias Almeida and not just to crash on Matias Almeida's system. I mean, there were some things that I think are parallel to what we're seeing now. We have a coach who loves his players, who is proud of his players and the way they perform. But uh, Luchi Gonzalez has shown that he is willing to, as you said, Alex, to tinker and try out different things to see what works for this team. And I, I saw in the comments tonight, a lot of people were giving pushback about Jack Skein. Maybe we shouldn't be getting so excited about him thus far. But this, to me, is like finally we're seeing the perfect puzzle piece going into the space that has quite like been one of the, the trouble areas for the team this season. So I think that's why a lot of us are so excited about the prospect of Skane, like playing in that position. Um, so again, you know, Luchi Gonzalez taking a different approach to these matches out of necessity, but moving forward, going into the league's cup, he's going to have an opportunity to try different things. And I think that for me is incredibly exciting. And so I share the positive outlook to the future games that both of you have kind of shared at the end of the show here. And I'm really excited to see how the quakes do once they get back into league play, because for me, that's the important thing for this team to do well in the league matches, to get a good position in the playoffs so that they can get a home game because we know that the teams who play at home during the playoffs are the teams that win and advance into the, uh, you know, closer to the MLS cup final, which is, I think what a lot of us are hoping for. So with all that being said, um, I want to invite folks to check out our website, quakesepicenter.com. Right there at the bottom of the screen, you can see uh, our producer has also added on the Patreon. So if you go to quakesepicenter.com, you can find all of our content, including links to uh, the YouTube page, the social media, and the Patreon. And the Patreon is the place where you can join us as a member of our contributing group uh, for things like joining the Slack. So for $5 a month, you can join to, uh, the Slack. That is what uh, Jamie was just referencing in terms of the uh, the simulations. Um, we have conversations throughout the week about the team. We talk during the game. Uh, we get all of our contributors involved. We have Colin, Jamin, and A. We have Alex. Uh, everyone's on there contributing to the Slack. So make sure you check that out, $5 a month if you want to become a patron. Um, if you're willing to contribute at least $2, you can also get access to uh, some of the, or early access to some of the materials that we post in terms of articles and uh, video content. 
as well. Make sure you follow us on social media, on Instagram and Twitter and threads. We are on all of those social media. So follow us on there at Quakes Epicenter. And I think that's about it. Like, subscribe, and turn on those notifications. And be sure to join us after every match right here on The Aftershock. Have a good night, everybody.